Amen. Amen. Well, if you could turn to Galatians 3. We're seeing a section here in Paul's letter to the Galatians where he's going to emphasize the beauty and the value of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For a while, we've talked uh, a good bit about the gospel, what the gospel is and how it is good news of Jesus Christ. But here we're going to look this morning particularly why it is good news, what actually comes to us through this gospel. In Galatians 3, Paul transitions to begin to speak about what really has been given to them in Christ, which is the Holy Spirit himself. The first verse in the chapter goes this way. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the gospel beforehand, and the gospel, I'm sorry, I uh, have a shadow from this thing on my page, and when I do this, I miss some words. So let me try this again. And the scriptures were seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul's making connection between the old, old Abraham and the very present Galatians. For all who rely on works of the law are under curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide in all the things written in the book of the law. And do them. That part's imperative for Paul. And do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. A quick quote from Habakkuk. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Leviticus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Deuteronomy. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The very end is the whole point of the gospel. This was all, he says, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. That is, the Spirit of God coming upon the Galatians 
was the experience they had that formed the church, that they saw Jesus Christ crucified, though they didn't really see him crucified with their physical eye. It was a spiritual experience that formed a church immediately there as Paul preached. Now that experience was not by chance. That was the power of God acting upon the promises of God as he always intended to do from thousands and thousands of years ago. And so Paul is making the point to say, Galatians, you are tempted to turn to another gospel. And we'll express here shortly why, and maybe your experience is to, to know why you might be tempted to turn to another gospel or turn from Christ as our walk with Christ ebbs and flows and high watermarks and low um, ebbs and flows that are sad and, and, and distant from God. The reason they fall away is because they're looking for blessing. They're looking for something good. And Paul is drawing them back to say, don't you remember what it was like when you were first converted? Don't you remember what it was like when you beheld the power of God by his spirit? How could you part from that at all? Because the last verse is him saying this was all the blessings of Abraham coming to them as Gentiles, which was the promise of the very presence of God, the residing Holy Spirit in them. Everything else is tangential to that. If you can have the Holy Spirit, you have God himself. So what else would you want? This is the question. The question for them and for us this morning. Because the temptation, the main point of the whole letter of Galatians, the very beginning of the letter, Paul just says, I'm simply astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Jesus Christ for another gospel. I'm astonished based on your experience of God's grace, that you would even be tempted to go somewhere else. The reason, of course, we know is because these people in the church were called troublers, Paul calls them. They're troubling the Galatians. He says, they accuse the Galatians particularly of saying, you have Jesus, yes, but to grow in Christ, that is, to move forward, um, particularly to actually be a true Child of God, you need to go through the right door. You can't come around the back end and just all of a sudden be a Gentile and plop right in there and find the Jewish Messiah and be a Christian. They're saying, if you're going to have Christ, you're also going to have to have Abraham. That's the main accusation we can gather. We don't know what these troublers were with the Galatians, what they actually were saying. We don't have any of their letters, of course. We have Paul's letter and how he's responding to them. So we're only hearing one side of the conversation, you might say. But based from what Paul's saying, it's very clear that these Judaizers, they're called, wanted to bring the Gentiles through the front door of Judaism, not the back door through Christ. And so the accusation is, that's fine, you found Jesus, but for you to properly be God's people, you have to first identify with Abraham, then Moses, then David, and everything that happened through the history of God's redemption in the people of Israel. It's like saying, you can't go to 12th grade, you have to start over at elementary school. And that's what they're essentially coming, the, the Judaizers, the Troublers are coming to Galatians and saying, You're, you have to start in first grade. And first grade is this. Are you with Abraham? Do you know Abraham? This is why Paul transitions his letter at this moment to say this very thing. Know it is that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. It's a powerful concept to grab. 
Paul is saying, if you believe in Christ, you are connected to the eternal and ancient plan of God for salvation, the gospel. If you believe in Christ, it has always been this way. It is not a new gospel I am preaching. It is a very old gospel. Very, very old gospel. From the beginning of how God created or set aside a certain people to redeem the world, Israel themselves, it always began from the first page with faith. That is, if you look at the Bible, it's nothing more than Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all Gentiles. The first 11 chapters of the Bible are all Gentiles. Chapter 12 is the first time you're introduced to what is a person called a Jew. And that Jew, his name was Abraham. And that Abraham was called from a land of a pagan land in Babylon. So he wasn't much Jewish before there was a Jew. He was just a normal pagan worshiping the moon. And God called him and said, come here to this land. And we're told in Hebrews that Abraham heard God and believed. So that's it. To be Jewish is to believe. Faith. Everything else came after. But nothing is more central. That if you have faith in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. Not by natural lineage, not by genealogical descent, but on the principle that actually matters, the principle introduced to us in Scripture is believing in Christ makes you part of that true lineage. The ones that actually go to heaven when you die. The one that actually enters into the promised land. So Paul is saying, do not be taken in by them trying to bring you along into what is an old gospel. There is an older gospel, a true gospel, that has always been based on faith. The scriptures, he says, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand by Abraham. That is an old gospel, all the way back from the history of redemption. This gospel has not changed. It is the same. And that is the promise to Abraham that in you, all the Gentiles, all the nations will be blessed. It was always God's design that he would bless the nations. It was always God's design that his first promise to Abraham had the Galatians in mind and had you and I in mind this very day. That it was God's plan as a point. Right before God called Abraham, there was a whole division of the Gentile world at the Tower of Babel. God calls a man and starts all over. And that man is called the man who is going to bless the world and restore Everything from the previous chapter in chapter 11. Everything that was divided and broken at the Tower of Babel. The, the kingdom of man had utterly fallen. God started his own kingdom with a man named Abraham. Not just for Abraham. Not just for Jews. Not just for a war in Palestine. But for the whole world again. It was always for the whole world again. So that it would come to Paul's point with the Galatians. That was for you. Because everything you can make in your own is nothing more than a Tower of Babel. And we know, of course, the world we live in, particularly now, it's been a long time since we had a big war. And it's almost like the ebbs and flows, historians say, of the cathartic effect of needing to um, kill each other, be angry and divided. After World War uh, II, everybody seemed to be a little more unified. But we haven't killed each other in a while. And we notice that in our present culture, everybody's so divided. 
Now you can't talk to someone who's a Democrat or Republican. Then they're a fascist. Whatever used to be that way only 20 years ago with Bush and Gore or, or these kind of people. It was just the difference between a blue tie and a red tie. But things are so much more divided, you see now, right? The gospel is this. Of course they're divided. The whole point of human history has been a division over sin and wickedness and strife and envy. God's redemption is what he's doing with the Galatians, uniting one humanity. Jews and Gentiles united. The whole reason Paul is preaching to them so severely is to say, do not make two-tier Christians. Do not make those who are truly Christians by Jewish descent and then partially Christians that need to maybe get circumcised and eat clean with food laws. That's the way of the world. Everything in the world is dividing to the haves and the haves-nots, the ups and the downs, the rich and the poor, the white and the black, the men and the women. We're always dividing. Shortly after, in Galatians, Paul is going to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Right? Why? Because we're all united in Christ. And if you're dividing, it's because you don't know the gospel and you haven't truly identified yourself in Christ. You think you're a Republican. And you'll go to hell thinking you're a Republican. All that matters is Christ. And so here is the true gospel. By faith, we submit our intellect, our wills, and our affection to Jesus. And the promise is that this is how God is going to bless the whole world through Abraham. Now, I have to explain what blessing is. None of us are blessed. The only one who is truly blessed, when I say the word blessing truly, is God. God is blessed. 1 Timothy 1.11 says, This gospel is of the glory of the blessed God. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He is the blessed and only sovereign. 1 John 1.5 says, In him is light in which there is no darkness. God is blessed. He has everything he needs. He is perfectly satisfied with himself. He is full of joy. He is full of contentment. He needs nothing. He has the fullness of all knowledge, the fullness of all presence, the fullness of all truth. He is the fullness of power, the fullness of goodness. The fullness of all beauty. He is beautified by himself. He relishes in his own beauty. In his own glory. He himself is love. Without any object for love. He himself is the love. And he needs no object of love. For he is love within himself. He needs nothing. He is truly blessed and content. The reason the gospel is the gospel. I put a tie on to say this. And I preach to myself right now. You are offered the fullness of God for yourself in Christ. I'm going to try to explain what that means. Blessedness. This could be a common experience. 
It's a holiday, Christmas or Thanksgiving. You just ate a full meal and you're full. You're not lonely because you're surrounded with friends or family most likely. No one's pooling from you because you're probably off work for a few days for the holiday. You have nothing pressing on your mind or on your body. You don't feel hungry. You don't feel lonely or sad. Your children are happy right now playing. Your friends and family surround you. You've already paid your bills this month. There's nothing broken in your house. And you already got groceries and your fridge is full. And for a moment, and it is only a moment, you sit down on the couch next to a warm fire with all the people you love and you're happy. That's called being blessed. Being full and needing nothing. And we all know that that lasts far too short. But you do know what I'm talking about. That is God always and even more. So you must hear this gospel. What's being offered to you? It's really being offered to you. It's that all the blessings of God have come from Abraham to us by the Holy Spirit. See, we are not blessed. We are empty and vacuous. We are grand canyons down to our toes. We are so empty. And we always want something. Your faith in Christ ebbs and flows. And sometimes you feel fuller. Sometimes you feel absolutely dry. The common temptation to turn, of course, to alcohol and drugs and gluttony. We have phrases called binge-watching or doom-scrolling on your phone for hours, watching nothing that's important. Because, you see, the way we were made in the image of God, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he had written eternity upon our heart. That anyone that hasn't picked up a Bible but at least studies psychology understands that human consciousness is a matter of intentionality or aboutness. To want to be able to take upon things. Take in information. But our very nature is nothing more than a vacuum. A shop vac. That just wants. That wants to take things in. That wants to be satisfied. We were made vacuous. We were made to receive. We were made to think, to see, to taste, to smell. We want more and more and more. But Ecclesiastes 1.8 also tells us, the eye is never satisfied with seeing, and the ear is never filled with hearing. That is, everything that we have and everything that we want doesn't bring it down to our soul. It's like a Thanksgiving dinner that you're only hungry in the next six more hours. It doesn't satisfy it doesn't fill the crevices and the cracks of your soul. It doesn't bring you to the fullness of joy in which you can say, I am blessed. I, my mind is free. I have joy abounding for no reason except in God. 
It is very much, right, like a shop vac. Because the thing about a shop vac, if you ever used one of these before, right, it's not just about picking up dust. So you can always pick up a little bit more dust, a little bit more dust. And even, and I love filling it up to the very end and avoiding even to empty it. You can fill that thing up with a lot of dust and still get a little bit more. But what's amazing about a shop vac is you can also fill it up with water. And when you fill that up with water, you really have, down to the last corner of the bin, filled the vacuum. And it doesn't work anymore. Now hear this. So in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to us Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The spirit of God is God. If you can lay hold of Christ through faith. The blessing is there is an ocean of God's spirit that can fill your soul and truly satisfy you. And that is your blessing, your contentment need to be reminded. This is the whole point of Jesus' life. At the end of his life, he speaks to his disciples in John 16, where he says, the Spirit will truly glorify me, for he will take what is mine and give it to you. And in John 17, he tells his disciples, these things I speak to you, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That is, Jesus is saying, What I'm telling you, how I'm going to the cross, how I am appeasing God's wrath and opening the way into the blessed paradise of God's heaven. And also a two-way street in which right now in this present age, the Spirit pours through to us. is so that you might have the fullness of joy that I know. The fullness of joy. Pure blessedness. That is Whatever lack of this is in your life, it is not because it is not possible. Of course, the circumstances of our life, I'm not talking about happiness. There's no reason to have joy when you go through suffering a lost loved one or any trial in life. But what I'm talking about is joy down to the bottom of your vacuum. That this is the express purpose of Jesus Christ in the gospel, to be full of this blessedness. And it is a spiritual blessedness. That's why all of his questions are revolving around the Holy Spirit. When he says, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your spiritual eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Or did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? No, just by hearing in faith. Accepting Christ for who he is, the Spirit of God loves to glorify Christ. If you set your mind, your intentionality by faith with your intellect, volition, and affections upon Christ, the promise stands that the Holy Spirit immediately responds. That he wants at any moment to glorify Christ. If he can demonstrate Christ to you, so much so that you could even say, in some sense like the Galatians, you've seen Christ crucified, then that's why he's there. For you to behold the glory of Christ. So foolish, he says to them, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We will learn later in Galatians, Paul's interest is this. He wants you to keep in step with the Spirit. It's back to the 10,000 hour rule. You begin by the Spirit. And to do anything to master it, you must do it for 10,000 hours, they say. And so Galatians, at the end, Paul is going to say nothing more than, you began by the Spirit, 
Now learn to walk with the Spirit. Walk with Him. Be filled with Him. He regularly supplies the Spirit to you. That is, in all your mind and all your meditation, if you would at any point throughout the day or any minute in your life focus that intentionality with faith upon Christ, you are invited and promised that the Spirit will quicken you. He will come. He is here to glorify Christ. If you see Christ, you will find the Spirit. And if you find the Spirit, you will be filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled, your vacuum is then full. And you, for a moment, can say, I am blessed. I need nothing. In fact, I would rather die to be with Christ. In fact, I do consider myself dead to this world. I do consider my flesh crucified on the cross with Christ so that I might live to him and walk with him and talk with him and be with him. That's the blessed life. And there's nothing needed to add, only to perfect, to grow in it, to learn, to walk with the Spirit. The theme of all these questions is pointing that there is nothing more valuable that you possess in this life than the Spirit of God. Your car and your home, your gold, your children, your spouse and family and all your loved ones. You have been given God himself. The most precious possession you have on your person as the Holy Spirit falls upon you, but also resides in your person, is the person of God in the Holy Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. No middle road. There's no bridge. There's no mediator. That is the experience of God's Spirit upon your soul. God is so powerful. He is so great. He needs no one to mediate for Him. He can meet you where you are. The quiet thoughts of your mind, the subconscious intuitions of your soul. If you give yourself to him, he will have you. He will possess you. And you will be one with God. How is this possible? Christ has made a way. How to receive this spirit. This is how Paul addresses the Galatians. How to receive the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit. Because wouldn't it just make sense that you would want this? If what is being said is true, there is nothing more valuable. The Holy Spirit is free. Drugs cost a lot of money. Counselors cost a lot of money. If you need those, that's good. But you should remember, if your mind is broken. There is a person who can speak to you deeper than anyone can ever go. We must also learn to walk with the Holy Spirit. So those who are of faith, he says, are blessed with Abraham. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the law. See, the reason we don't experience God is because we're cursed. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is like a dove, a very gentle dove, a very pure white dove that does not want to land on any unsoily soil, any 
dirty thing. After the flood, only after the flood, he finds a clean branch. When Jesus arises from the floodwaters, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in his baptism and alights upon him, lands upon him, because he's a perfectly, truly righteous person that actually can entertain the Spirit, that doesn't offend the Spirit, that doesn't grotesque the Spirit. Our lives, the reason we don't experience the glory of God and the blessedness of the Holy Spirit is because our lives are riddled with sin and corruption, everything that is not heaven. Everything that makes heaven blessed is not us. So how do we get there? All Paul is saying is, if you want the Spirit, it has to be by faith. You can't earn it. You can't do it. Your whole life is riddled with things that militate against it, militate against the presence of God in your life. You're covered with sin. So you have to come by faith, and all these blessings of Abraham come By faith because of the curse. Everyone who does not abide in all these things, all these things are the works of the law. There's a new perspective on Paul that was a big debate about 20 years ago where a bunch of scholars um, uh, started to say these works of the law, see, it undermined the whole gospel to say these works of the law are actually um, just about boundary markers. Just about being Jewish. When you actually read Galatians, Paul's really just talking about circumcision and festival calendars and dietary laws. These works of the law are saying, Paul's saying, hey, quit being so Jewish. Just make a Gentile church. It really doesn't have to do anything with our moral corruption. Anything to do with our sin nature. It's a big problem about 20 years ago. They overemphasize this. But here we find works of the law are all, for Paul, in Galatians 3.10, are all things written in the law to do them. That's everything. Particularly the word there is Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Works of the law are all things written in the first five books of the Bible to do them. He goes on in Galatians to say, I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep The whole law, that is, the boundary markers, what made someone appear Jewish, was only an appearance of a whole undergirding covenant that actually involved perfect, perpetual obedience to God. And the problem with it all is that no one could do that. That's why he's saying, why would you go back to what you can do, the works of the law or your performance? No one has been able to accomplish that ever. The reason the blessing has to come by faith is because of the curses. The very last part of this is the verse he quotes. The very last section of the very last book of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, is what he quotes in Deuteronomy 27-26. It's almost a very end of the whole entire law. It says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in this book to do them. A very pointed quote for him to say. At the very end of the contract, one little clause says, by the way, if you mess up once, you're done. Fine print. Paul says, don't forget the fine print. Behind that is a whole host of death. In that covenant, God commanded a ceremony. That is Deuteronomy 27 at the end. He wanted the people, when they entered the promised land, to cross through the river of the Jordan. And he wanted them to walk together between two mountains, Mount Sibal and Mount Gerizim. It was a symbolic act. On Mount Sibal, they were to write all of the commandments of God. 
And then people were to go on that mountain and stand on there and look over Israel as I look over you. And as they walk between this ravine into the promised land, the blessed land, the land of milk and honey, the land that fills your vacuum, the place we all want to go, the utopia, the no place is what utopia means, the place we want that we can never get. We're going into there, but for them to get into that promised land, the blessed presence of God, they had to pass between a mountain, a ball in which people stood there and spoke curses over their heads. And those curses were, Cursed be anyone who makes idols. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor, takes advantage of the blind, corrupts the poor from their justice, takes a bribe, sexually perverted. All these curses were spoken over the mountain, over Israel as they walked through. And the very last of their curses was, and cursed is anyone who does not abide in all the things written in this book of the law, to do them. Needless to say, the curse also involved Israel being expelled from the land. One of the curses was, if you do not fulfill this, the land will vomit you up, it says in Leviticus. Like a virus or a wicked disease. And so, the curses landed. Now imagine yourself. Put yourself in this gospel. Between you and paradise, the blessed presence of God, the beatific vision of God's good joy and pleasure upon your life, there stands only one mountain. Mount Ebal. Imagine a mountain that stood between you and heaven. And on that mountain was everybody you've ever wronged. Everybody you've ever sinned against and done wickedness with. Every gossip and slander and idol witnesses to you as you try to cross into paradise. Every biblical curse was not just a word game. Curses, the word devar in Hebrew means word, but the word devar also means thing. That is, in Hebrew, a word is a thing. It's not just a, something you're just talking about. It's a transactional thing. Right? So when these curses go out, they're witnessed by God who made everything by the word as a matter of fact. And so if these curses are true, they land on your head and you do not make it into the promised land. You will be expelled. And so Paul points the Galatians around the mountain, so to speak. He quotes three pivotal verses from this Torah, in order to say, if you were to find the blessings of God, you can go around the mountain to the right, you can go around the mountain to the left, or lastly, the only way is to just go straight up the mountain and be cursed. See, he quotes Habakkuk. He says, well, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And then he says, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Why is he quoting Habakkuk? Because he's an obscure prophet who wrote right before Babylon came in and destroyed Israel in, seven, in 586. 40 or 50 years before. 
And he could see Babylon coming to take away the nation of Israel. And he said, Lord, why are you doing this? And he says, because it's all the brokenness of the law. That Israel deserves to be expelled. Therefore, the righteous cannot live by works. They're kicked out of the land. They have to live by faith. Or another way around this mountain of cursing. He says that the law is not of faith. And he quotes Leviticus 18.15. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The only way to live in the blessed land is to do righteousness. So you can't go around the mountain that way. You're cursed. The only way to get to the blessed land, and he quotes the final verse in Deuteronomy 21, 23, is to be cursed. He says, as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The point of the law is, they're not cursed because they're hanged on the tree. They're hanged on the tree because they're cursed. All lawbreakers were to be killed, and then their bodies were to be hung as a signpost, a testimony to the dangers of breaking the law. And Paul uses that verse to say how it is so true that the only way through that mountain, a mountain of all of your sin, of all the accusations, of all the curses that could justly land upon your head, it's the Lord Jesus Christ took on your body, took on your life, carried that cross up Mount Hebal and turned it into the mountain of Calvary. That he hung himself on the mountain of all those curses and all the curses of that law fell upon him so that Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by himself becoming that cursed man who hung on the tree. And now... The mountain is broken. The testimony of all your sins dissolved. Because he was offered over for our trespasses. Romans 4 says. But he was raised for our justification. That he actually got up that mountain. And walked into paradise. And therefore is our savior. Our Lord. Dear Father God. We ask, Lord, that you would take all of our curses, everything we could ever justly deserve for all the sins in our life. Lord, we ask that you would put them upon Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this cross. We thank you, Lord, for all of our sins being washed away. Thank you, Lord, that as we think of Christ, you think of us. And nothing more is needed. There's nothing more we can do. We renounce all our pride, Lord. And we ask that you would fill us with this spirit by hearing and believing and not doing and performing. Glorify Christ in our minds. Give us your spirit without measure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.